You're about to listen to an episode of Legally Fonds. This episode is brought to you in association with LawSchool.ie. LawSchool.ie is Ireland's leading provider of tuition for the FE1 or King's Inns entrance exams. Each course is delivered live online with a specific exam focus and supported by the latest manuals. Shorter, pre-recorded workshops are also available and courses commence every year in June and November. Register anytime at lawschool.ie and for a 10% discount on any course, just use the discount code LEGALLYFOND. In this episode of Legally Fond, Pierce shares with us some of his wisdom about the world. Car ads notoriously don't make sense, though. Like perfume ads, you know, it's black and white and you have a few ones rolling around in some sand or something like that. And sensual music playing. And that's the ad. Welcome to Legally Fond Episode 8. last American case we did was to do with an ad. Here's another American case, also to do with an ad. This week, we're covering the case of Midler versus Ford Motor Company. Alex, what happened? This case, Midler versus Ford Motor Company, centers around an advertisement in 1985 for the Ford Lincoln Mercury car. So, the advertising agency Young and Rubicam Incorporated produced about 19 advertisements. Uh, in what they call the yuppie campaign, which Urban Dictionary told me was a young urban professional. They took different popular songs from the 70s and they tried to put them into each commercial and edited the lyrics a little bit. Now, they did try to get the, uh, in quotes, original people, but about 10 of them said no. So they said, right, we'll find a sound alike, which is a very common practice in the advertising agency where they will alter a song slightly either to evade copyright or just to kind of fit the format of the ad. So Bette Midler, you know, won a Grammy in 1973. She was nominated nominated for an Academy Award. And she's been, you know, hailed as a legend and a, you know, dynamic and poignant singer slash actress. When the Ford Motor Company found a sound alike, put it in the ad, Bette Midler decided, I'm going to sue you because my voice is so distinctive that it only belongs to me. And trying to impersonate me is basically cheating me out of, you know, revenue even though they'd already paid for the copyright for the song itself. But because they imitated her voice, that's what she sued for. Here's an excerpt from the ad. Just a warning. Some things should never have left the 80s. Do you want Now there's a car that just asks to be driven. You're my love I'll spare you the rest of that. That's not Bette Midler you hear singing there. That is the impersonator. Here's a clip from the real song. Do you wanna dance and hold my hand? Tell me you're my lover man. Oh. So what do you think? Do you think the voices sound identical in those two clips? Bet Midler said well, so yeah, you guys watch the ads. What was the connection between the lovers dancing in the ad and the car? I didn't really get the... Uh... It was meant to remind these yuppies of their college times. And, th- <laughs> and the that's car is, what they the say is doing in the, drifts in the... in the background and stuff as well. <laughs> car ads notoriously don't make sense, though. 
like perfume ads do you know it's black and white and you have a few ones rolling around in some sand or something like that and sensual music playing and that's the ad Pierce had you ever heard of Bette Midler before we did this case I had um and she of course is renowned as the most dynamic and poignant singer and actress of her time uh which is what Time magazine styled her as uh and of course her famous song which the case deals with as well is do you want to dance from her 1973 album the divine miss m i've never seen it i've never seen her before nor have i, I, I recognize her she's in fiddler on the roof or she was i think in fiddler on the, uh, when it was on broadway what is fiddler on the roof fiddler on the roof is a musical the... come on alex you guys are going straight over my head here like the famous the famous musical no it's not that famous now it's, it's not it's, one of the big Broadway oh, musicals. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty famous. Okay, it's famous, but it's not one of the big, like, big Broadway ones. Pierce, you're talking at me like I'm some sort of uncultured swine. Like, it's not... It's low-brow culture, in fairness. So Bette Midler was trying to say that her voice was an integral part of who she was and her personality. Do either of you think that your voice is a fundamental part of who you are? I, I think I do, yeah. I think it's... Um... Everybody's voice is pretty distinct. I think if you're talking to somebody on the phone and, I mean, you recognize somebody straight away within a few words, um, the way they speak as well, the kind of the tone, the tempo, the pitch, it's all very distinctive. It's all very personable. It's one of the, um, the ways in which somebody's personality really manifests itself is the voice, I think. So I, I think it's very integral to how we express ourselves. Alex, do you think you'd be able able to identify all of your friends without seeing them, just listening to their voice? I think I'd probably do a fair enough job of it, yeah. Um, like, you know, Pierce's low carry undertones. <laughs> Sorry, I dropped okay, my last. pen. I dropped my pen in shock there. At that <laughs> butchered attempt at a carry accent. My voice is... Oh, sorry, I can't hear myself because I've got headphones on. My voice is mm-hmm. distinctive. I, I, anyway. I, I, what, what, I'm, I'm aghast at, at such a, a, a slanderous impression of me. Welcome to FM 104. This is Gavin Dowd on Drive Time. Thank you very much. I, I can't do the two of you because you both sound the exact same. That is not true. <laughs> I think pretty, that is totally untrue close. as well. I think it's pretty close. I think it's pretty close. <laughs> I think it's pretty, I think it's pretty close I there, like. What a sophisticated sense of humour You <laughs> Dublin people have I know people think we might be going off topic here But I think this is kind of an important part of the case Pierce would you consider your voice As integral a part of your identity As your face What's a face without a voice Gavin I think my auntie shared that on Facebook before <laughs> I think I think the voice is more valuable in I mean I, I think you'd have to be a very superficial person to solely value your face. There's a reason people wear balaclavas when committing crime spirits because you know it's not just to do with your voice. Yeah, but uh, Alex on that same metric there's a reason why kidnappers speak through toilet rolls when they're talking down the phone asking for ransom because people's voices are very distinct as well. 
Okay, the key thing seemed to be in this case that Bette Midler didn't want to do commercials or celebrity endorsements because they rang her up and they said, Bette, we want you to do this ad. Can you do it? And she said, no, I don't do ads. I'm not interested in it. I don't know if you guys agree, but I think this is what the case hinges on. The idea that Bette Midler didn't want anything to have to do with celebrity endorsement on ads, but the producers of the ad and the advertising agency went behind her back and everyone who had seen the ad thought that she was singing along in the background and that she had given her consent to it. Because they went out and found it sounded like they clearly attached a value to her voice. So in a sense, they kind of, they shot themselves in the foot by, yeah, by trying to go out and get Beth Midler and then using somebody to sound just like her. They ascribed a value to her voice. They're using something that she clearly owns without her permission but but do you really own your voice particularly in the context of the singing voice if you're going to sing a Bette Midler song and you're a lady you're probably going to sing it in the way that Bette Midler sings it and adopt some of her kind of vocal trills and her vocal quality and characteristics well they deliberately sought sought out somebody who had worked as a backup singer for Bette Midler for 10 years so they sought out somebody who they knew would be familiar with, like you say, the particular intonations and styles of Bette Midler so that she could effectively imitate it. So I think that's very revealing that, yeah, they wanted somebody to sound like Bette Midler. It's like somebody going and asking for Gavin Dowd to do something and then getting Alex McDonald. Like... Well, Gavin, you you often, um, you know, after a few drinks, you, you whip out a bit of uh, Frank Sinatra. Do you find that you <laughs> imitate the uh, the vocal stylings and soft lilt of, um, of Sinatra singing when, when you indulge us? Of course, Pierce, one would adopt the smooth and silky crooner tones of Frank Sinatra's voice. Now, I guess in this case, it was kind of different because the producers of the ads were trying to fool people into thinking that it was Bette Midler singing in the background. And there was nothing to indicate that it wasn't Bette Midler singing in the background. But I just wonder again, the extent to which somebody owns their own voice and the sound of their voice, if other people can replicate the sound of their voice quite easily. I don't think it's necessarily because obviously you can't copyright a voice as per the First Amendment in America. But Matzenbacher v. Reynolds Tobacco Company, they designed an ad with a car that looked very, very similar to a car driven by the racing driver Lothar Matzenbacher. An issue that was brought up in that case was, although they did change it slightly, it was very, very clear who they were trying to imitate. And that kind of endorsement, which they didn't pay for, is what was quoted as a proprietary interest of the racing driver in question. I don't think it was the issue that they were endorsing cigarettes themselves. It was more the issue that they were endorsing the wrong type of cigarettes, maybe. But although this is kind of different, I guess if you if you have Bette Midler endorsing your product, there is a value to that. So if you're trying to trick somebody into thinking that they've endorsed the product, it isn't quite completely transparent. I mean, is it an endorsement, though? Because Bette Midler wasn't behind the, the wheels of the uh, Ford Lincoln Mercury car she wasn't saying you know i've never had a gear change as smooth as one in a ford lincoln mercury it's an, it's not a ringing endorsement by her she, she you know her music or her song accompanies the advertisement but i don't think it's necessarily her standing up and saying buy this car 
I agree with you, Pierce. I don't think it was an endorsement at all. I think it was just background music. Now, obviously, people watching the ad would have probably recognized that it was a Bette Midler song in the background. They would have heard the voice and probably associated the ad with her in some way. But I'll give you the example. Um, I don't know if you know this, but the I'm Loving It jingle that McDonald's used, that's actually based on a Justin Timberlake song from the early 2000s. Now, I don't think a huge amount of people think that Justin Timberlake is an endorser of McDonald's and fast food as a result. I think what Bette Midler was getting at in this case was not necessarily about endorsement. It was more about control over something that you own. You know, she wanted to control where she was seen, where she was heard, what her voice and her person was associated with. So it was kind of control over her identity. I think that's only fair enough. What do you guys think? I do understand it. I kind of like, and the judgment is kind of interesting in the sense that the start kind of tells you why it wouldn't work and then proceeds to say why it would work. Okay, an interesting example just popped into my head. Over the past, I guess, 20 or 30 years, different American presidential candidates have had their own playlists, have had their own campaign songs and their own signature sounds. So I think... Trump, in his 2016 campaign, he had You Can't Always Get What You Want. That was his song. Uh, other presidents have had, you know, Born in the USA. They're songs that espouse the emotions of their campaign and that are tied to their political brand, I guess, in some way. Take, for example, a situation where you're an artist and your music is getting played at Trump rallies the whole time. And you object to this because you're not a Trump fan in any sense and you don't want to be seen associated with Trump or endorsing Trump in any respect. What's your position there and do you have any legal recourse? There, there is a case actually about that in Ireland, not necessarily a court case, but um, at the IREXIT conference, which was held out in the RDS, I think two years ago. <laughs> How would you know about that, Pierce? I know I, I attended the IR exit conference because I was interested in um, seeing what <clears throat> the arguments that were put forward for it. Uh, you can listen to my commentary on the conference on the uh, Joe.ie clip, which I have up on my Facebook page. But uh, Horse Lips, Dark Doom was played when Farage came out on stage and they never gave their permission for this song to be used. And they said they didn't want it associated with this particular political agenda to take Ireland out of the European Union. And what are your thoughts on that? I guess, is it a situation that once somebody has acquired the copyright to your music and it's out there in the public domain, they can use it for whatever purpose they want? Oh, yeah, then yeah, I think that's... absolutely. Yeah, you can't, you know, you can't just pick and choose who gets to play your music because but... you disagree with something that they believe in. But do you see it as an endorsement? Like when you heard Derek Doom play through the sound speakers and Nigel Farage waddled onto stage to make his big address. Did you see the horse lips as in some way endorsing the Irexit movement? No, not at all. I mean, I didn't, uh, I, it's a piece of music that to kind of drum up a crowd, but that's it. I think. Um, Wasn't it rage against the machine who are very outspoken activists on many things in America, but they were given out that Paul Ryan speaker, former speaker of the house was, said that he was a fan of their music and in a sense that it's kind of it's almost more ironic especially in that case because paul ryan's political ideologies are completely at odds with rage against the machine like it's literally you know opposite ends of the spectrum in a sense that's kind of almost the reverse of the situation because he endorsed them would you then associate rage against the machine with paul ryan 
if he listens to them. I don't know who Rage Against the Machine are. Oh god, you uncultured swine! Pierce, giving out to me because I don't know. <laughs> you know, you know who so I'm scared of using. You don't know us who Rage Against the Machine are. I don't. I know who Paul Ryan is. Another thing that popped into my mind when I read this case. Now, the Irish and British are particularly good at political satire, and I, I know we're all big fans of the likes of Callan's Kicks on RT and Gift Grub on Today FM, you know, impersonations of celebrities and, and politicians. The ruling in this case is rather narrow. They restricted it to situations where you are using a professional singer's voice for commercial purposes and fooling other people into thinking that it is the professional singer who is singing the song. I was wondering, could this case be used as a weapon by politicians who heard impersonations of themselves on political satire shows and wanted to stop the impersonations going out? It doesn't explicitly, um, you know, it, it's not directly involved in the selling or advertising of a product. Now, you could argue that if it's being broadcast on RTE and, you know, the break in between an episode of Savage Eye or something advertises Ford cars are they then getting a benefit based on people are viewing this show because Dave McSavage is doing good impressions of whoever it might be I don't know I think that's taking it way too far in my opinion I mean they said that the impersonation of her voice was piracy of her identity was how they phrased it impersonation for the purposes of an endorsement is different to impersonation for the purposes of satire like they achieve different goals in a sense one is endorsing a product and one is the product i think that's very fair and i think also i mean if you look at copyright you're allowed to use a clip of something if you provide commentary on the matter i think satire like, like gavin makes the distinction between how the irish uh, and the brits and and the americans would do it i think um irish political satire is inherently um kind of sardonic and sarcastic and there's a message behind it there's a commentary attached to it so therefore you're not taking what they say word for word you're changing it you're altering it you're you're making it humorous so there there is creative work in what you're doing and i think if you're in the public sphere what you say is fair game but also you're aware well you should be aware when you're listening to political satire but something that was quite key in this case is that people thought it was Bette Midler. That's actually a very good point. I never thought of that. Like so you say that, you know, you know you're to listening the... to Oliver Callan when you're listening to Callan's Kicks on the radio or Mario Rosenstock. You don't think it's Leo Varadkar coming over the airwaves. Whereas with this, like you say, people inferred that it was Bette Midler singing. It mentions in the case that there are property rights in somebody's name, voice, signature, photograph or likeness. Now, Pierce, let's say somebody who bore incredible resemblance to you, somebody who was the spits of you, appeared in an ad for the NRA, the National Rifle Association in America. Now, this person was of no relation to you. It was a complete and utter coincidence. But you were outraged by it because people came up to you subsequently and said, oh my God, Pierce, you looked so stylish with that AK-47 in your hands. Do you consider that a breach of your property rights? I mean, I, I can't help that I have a very bland, generic physique that is uh, replicated all over the world, all over Ireland, it seems, like you say, based on some people we've come across on Legally Fun's Instagram. I mean, they're not breaching my rights. It's just a picture that looks like me, unless the picture was taken 
And they had this individual dress up in, I don't know, a Kerry jersey or a, a, a Trinity jumper or something like that that was deliberately supposed to mislead readers of the Kerry jersey. I guess. Here's, I would say that it's not you. It would be like a blazer and chinos. A Kerry well, jersey. Well, well, whatever, okay, whatever Alex thinks are, are my kind of uh, identifying uh, choices of fashion. Um, and, and they set it up in such a way that it's, it's meant to, you know, viewers or, or readers of this are meant to take from it that it's Pierce Noara. Then, and it's, it's not in an obviously uh, satirical or, or lampooning style. And yeah, I think, I, I think that would be an infringement. But if it's just somebody who coincidentally happens to look like me, then I, I, I cannot feasibly see there being a case. One of the points that Midler potentially was going to raise or that was raised in similar cases was the argument of unfair competition, which was that by having somebody who sounded like Bette Midler sing on television in 30-second or 60-second slots on these advertisements, it would saturate Midler's audience with material and curtail her potential market. Uh, and this case was brought up in in, in uh, similar um, uh, similar commercial gimmicks, whereby they had taken uh, a person who imitates the the voice of a well known comedian and puts it over a cartoon. But uh, this argument had failed because they said, "Listen, you know, people aren't going to not watch a comedian or not listen to a singer because they've had to endure a thirty second advertisement with somebody who sounds like them." Yeah, I thought that was a pretty weak argument, in my opinion. So what did the judges say? Well, they said that a voice is as distinctive and as personal as a face, and the human voice is one of the most palpable ways that identity is manifested. They don't say that every imitation of a voice is a breach of your rights. They said that only when a distinctive voice of professional singer is widely used and is deliberately imitated in order to sell a product then the sellers have appropriated what is not theirs and have committed a wrong. Well, that marks the end of episode eight of Legally Fond. Kind of a shorter one than usual. We have a special guest to be confirmed on the show, perhaps in the next episode. We'll update you on our Instagram. Make sure you follow us. It's Legally Fond 1. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 